You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. Super Wildcard Weekend is now officially in the books. We had last night's Dallas Cowboy Tampa Bay Buccaneer game that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about quarterbacks that are left in the playoffs. Some amazing numbers to go over. Um, college football notes, and then we'll uh, look ahead to next weekend's divisional matchups. Some good ones, for sure. And we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's get started. Last night's game in Tampa. The Cowboys win at 31-14, and it really wasn't that close. We started off, and I think everyone was sitting at home scratching their heads like, is anybody going to score in this game? I think it was Dallas three and out, punt. Tampa three and out, punt. Dallas three and out, punt. Tampa three and out, punt. And then from that point, you're just like, wow, uh, Dallas is just struggling. Tampa's struggling. Is there going to be any scoring in this game? And then out of nowhere, because they literally went three and out, three and out, the Dallas Cowboys then reeled off four straight touchdown drives. And again, I like to look deeper into the drives. Were they given a short field? Did they have to even do any work? Were they given a gift? No. Dallas Cowboys next four touchdown drives, 80 yards, 80 yards, 91 yards, 86 yards. So, that right there, and that was pretty much ball game. Now, granted, it was only 24 to nothing because Brett Maher couldn't kick a field goal to save his life. Uh, excuse me, an extra point. Totally bizarre, and he's been a really good kicker. If I'm not mistaken, Brett Maher, the Cowboys kicker, who could not make an extra point last night and missed four in a row. It's never happened in an NFL game before. A kicker missing four extra points. Brett Maher if I'm not mistaken, has made more over 60-yard field goals than anybody in NFL history. He's got like five, I think. He's close. He's up there. But he has, in the past, had some struggles with shorter field goals and shorter extra point attempts. I don't know why, but he has. Look at the numbers. But the guy has a booming leg, and he can make them from over 60. So that was really bizarre. And the good thing is it didn't come back to hurt the Cowboys. Not that I was cheering for them or anything like that. I'm just saying you don't want something like that to end up being the reason why the Cowboys lost a game because a kicker literally got the yips. And, you know, because at that point, you're not missing four extra points because you don't want to kick a football. It's clearly in your head at that point. If you saw his first two extra points, they went wide right. So then he tried to overcorrect himself, and he went wide left on the third one. And then the fourth one, I'm sure it was totally in his head, and he's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'll just kick it and see where it goes, and he ended up going wide right. But it just brings up a question for next week. Is this guy your kicker? What if they're close in the fourth quarter on the road at San Francisco and they need a you know, 48-yard field goal with three minutes left to take the lead or something like that? Do the Cowboys feel confident in sending him out there? And if they do, and he misses, you're going to be like, why didn't we cut him after he missed four extra points against Tampa? So it's one of these things where the guy has been really good for them. He hasn't been a liability at all. They haven't had issues with him until this game. So do you chalk it up as a just a one-game anomaly? Or do you really have to look into bringing in another kicker this week 
and maybe bringing on somebody new. But then you bring on somebody new, and you're just like, wow, this guy hasn't kicked all year, and now we're going to put him in a divisional game, and we might need a big kick at the end of the game? That's a tough call. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be the talk of Dallas, I know, for the next week because it's just something where you don't know if you chalk it up to just one bad day or if this is something that, wow, we we can't take a chance. We have to get somebody new in here because he just has lost his, his total confidence. And, and maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. As for the game itself, like I said, before the game, I gave you all a bunch of reasons and statistics that favored Dallas winning the game, but I gave you plenty of statistics that favored why Tampa could win the game. Ultimately, it ended up being Dallas. And now that the game is over, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. But I think one way to look at this game is, yeah, a 12-5 and team did what they should have done to a team that was not only 8-9 and nine on the season, not only minus 45 in a point differential, but they were an 8-9 and nine team that needed three major fourth-quarter comebacks from Tom Brady during the season just to get to 8-9. and nine. I mean, if we really look at it, this might have been a 6-11 and 11 Tampa team if Brady doesn't pull three games out of his ass in the fourth quarter, which he did. And you just watch the game, and Dallas dominated them. As I said, those drives, 80, 80, 91, 86, they didn't get any cheapies. They found something clearly in the Tampa defense that they could exploit. As you heard the announcers talk about it, Dallas's pass protection was way better than Tampa's. Tampa was, uh, Tom Brady was being swarmed all night. He was throwing off his back foot. He was throwing the ball into the ground. He was throwing the ball short. I mean, it just, it looked, he looked his age last night for the first time. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to retire. We just don't know. I was talking about it with friends last night in regards to Brady and what he could possibly do going forward. And look, we don't know yet. Tom Brady might retire. I don't know. But if you're looking at possible scenarios and where he would fit onto a team next year, the team that makes the most sense for him is the Raiders. Because, number one, you don't need Tom Brady throwing the ball 500 times again next year. He just He's going to be 46 years old. You don't want that. You need a running game. Well, the Raiders have Josh Jacobs, who led, I believe, all of the NFL in rushing, if not at least just the AFC. He's got a stud receiver in Devontae Adams. He's got his slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. And while I think Josh McDaniel sucks as a head coach, he's familiar with Josh McDaniels because that was his OC when he was with the Patriots for some of the years he was there. So he's familiar with the coach. He's got it. He would have a good running back. He would have a stud receiver. He'd have a great slot receiver, just like his Wes Welker days and Danny Amendola. So it makes the most sense. Now, will he go there? It's a different story. I have no idea where his mind is. You hear the talk about he wants to be closer to his kids and his kids are on the East Coast. So that would seemingly rule out the Raiders. But who on the East Coast would he go to or who in the you know Midwest to East Coast would he go to? There's talk of him staying in the division and going to New Orleans or going to Carolina. The Jets would be a possibility. Maybe going back to the Patriots. That seems to be a long shot. But I have no idea where this guy's head at is at. <clears throat> what I do know is I don't think he's going back to the Bucks. I think he's had his three years there. He enjoyed his time there. He won them a Super Bowl. I think if he's going to play again next year, he's going to move on because I just don't think the Bucks have it and there are better scenarios out there for him. I don't think he wants to go out this way. 
I mean, his statistics last night were ridiculous. I mean, are you kidding me? 35 of 66 for 351? And yeah, a lot of that was when they were behind by three touchdowns because when they needed him most, he did not play well. He was terrible for the first two quarters. The whole team was terrible. Dallas dominated that game. You can, if you're a Tampa Bay fan, just be objective. You got your ass kicked. It just, it, they, and this isn't a, me being a Dallas homer because I live in Dallas. As I've told you since I started the Sports Daily podcast, I don't care what happens to the Cowboys. I don't care if they win. I don't care if they lose. I'm indifferent on them. I don't cheer for them. I don't root against them. I'm just indifferent. I don't have a favorite NFL team. I have favorite players here. I like certain coaches, like certain players, but I mean, I like Dak. I, I, as a person, I think he's just a stand-up guy. I, I like guys who handle themselves well, especially with the media, and Dak is right up there. He's been very open about his mental health struggles, which I think you just don't get that from a quarterback in the NFL. So I give him all the props in the world for that. I think he's a good quarterback, not great. He needs to be a little bit more consistent, but he doesn't suck. And anyone who says he does doesn't know what they're talking about. Look at his career statistics. I mean, this guy in his first year didn't even wasn't even planning on playing. He was a fourth-round pick, but Tony Romo hurt his back in the preseason, and Dak steps in and starts his career 11-1 and and played great. So – and then went 13 and 3 in his first season. You don't get that much out of you don't get that kind of record out of rookies. But people seem to forget that because last night was his only his second playoff win in his career and he needs to start building a playoff resume. He's put up a lot of good numbers for quarterbacks. He's always in the top 10 or 15 in terms of passing yards and passing touchdowns. But until last night, he only had one playoff win in 7 years. Or maybe it was two, no, yeah, one and he was 1 and 2 in the playoffs. Now he's 2 and 2. And as I said for the last week, it was kind of a lose-lose for the Cowboys because the sentiment is, great, you should have beaten an 8-9 and nine team, and you should have beaten them the way you did. You're better than them. And I already know what the narrative is nationally and even locally. is like, okay, now you've got your revenge game against the Niners. Last year in the wildcard weekend, the only home team to lose was the Dallas Cowboys, and they lost to the San Francisco 49ers. Now they get them in San Francisco next Sunday, and it's the last game of the weekend. It's a Fox game. It's going to draw huge numbers. There's going to be a lot of talk of the old, you know, Aikman versus Young and, you know, Ricky Waters against Emmett Smith, all that stuff. Um, that has nothing to do with Sunday's game. And look, if you want an early look at the game, Yes, if the Cowboys played the way they played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they could absolutely beat the San Francisco 49ers. But no one knows if they're going to play that way. Like This is what we can expect from the Dallas Cowboys. A great game followed by an absolute stink bomb. So they have to play B-plus game at worst because you know San Francisco, even an off game from San Francisco, their defense always shows up. Can Dallas exploit that San Francisco defense? Can Dallas's defense make Brock Purdy look human? We won't know. Could they beat them? Absolutely. Will they? Different story. If they play this way, yeah, of course you can say Dallas could beat them. But we have no idea if they're going to play this way. Did they play this way last night against the Bucs because the Bucs aren't very good and they were 8-9? and nine? That might add to it. It probably did add to it. Because 
my gosh, if the Cowboys play that way against the Niners, they probably will win. But I think the Niners have a much better defense than the um, Bucks, and I just think their overall team speed is is faster than the Cowboys. But, hey, the Cowboys finally got the monkey off their back. First road win in 30 years in the playoffs. They hadn't won a road playoff game since 1992. So now that that's gone, the next hurdle to overcome is the Dallas Cowboys have not won two games in any postseason since their last Super Bowl victory. So it's been 27 years since they got to the playoffs and won two games. They've gotten there, I can't remember how many times, but they only have five playoff wins since their last Super Bowl loss, including last night. Five. Five wins. Five and 15 is their record in the playoffs since their last Super Bowl 27 years ago. So can they finally break that streak? And can they win two playoff games in one postseason for the first time in 27 years? We'll see Sunday night, I guess. Remember how I talked about towards the end of last week, I was talking about, man, the AFC is stacked. I mean, some of the best quarterbacks are all in the AFC. You've got Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Lawrence, Herbert. Well, with Herbert beating, uh, losing to Lawrence, the four quarterbacks remaining in the AFC, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, look at their ages. Patrick Mahomes is the elder statesman in the AFC quarterback race. He's 27. Josh Allen, 26. Joe Burrow, 26. Trevor Lawrence, 23. And if the Chargers would have held on and beaten Jacksonville, swap out Herbert for Lawrence, Herbert's 24. I mean, this is going to be a just, it almost seems like they're just going to rotate who's going to get to the Super Bowl, probably between those five teams. And maybe you throw in a, if, you know, wherever Lamar Jackson goes, if he stays in the AFC, maybe you can throw them in, but... These four or five teams, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and the Chargers are going to be there every single year, you'd think, barring major injuries to either of these quarterbacks or their teams. Obviously, every year is different, but you got to think at least three of them are making the playoffs every year. We don't know which three, but probably three, if not four. And with seven teams making it, there will be seasons where all five make it, and I just think the AFC, like I said last week, I think they're going to dominate. I think they're probably going to win seven or eight of the next ten Super Bowls just because these quarterbacks are that good. This was a great statistic that I saw, I think, Adam Schefter put out. Somebody put out on Twitter last night. There's four quarterbacks left, obviously, in the NFC playoffs. Jalen Hurts, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, and Daniel Jones. If you add up where what number pick they were, Well, let's start in the AFC. Those four quarterbacks that I mentioned, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Lawrence. If you add up where they were picked in the NFL draft, their placement, it adds up. The total number is 19. Lawrence was one. Burrow was one. Allen, I can't remember what he was. I want to say Allen was seven, maybe. And then Mahomes was like 10th, 11th, 12th, something like that. But it adds up to 19. If you add up (laughs) where all the NFC quarterbacks that are left in this year's playoffs, if you add up their draft position, it equals 456. (laughs) 
Brock Purdy, obviously the last pick in the draft this past year in the 2022 draft. He was pick number 262. Dak Prescott went in the fourth round. He was pick number 135. Jalen Hurts picked at the back end of the second round. He was the 53rd pick, and Daniel Jones was the fifth pick for the Giants. So 456 versus 19. That shows you the discrepancy and how dominant some of the quarterbacks in the AFC are compared to the NFC. But as I say that, either Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, or Daniel Jones is getting to the Super Bowl this year. Pretty crazy to think. And I said that last week. I prepared you for it. I said, look, let's eliminate Brady because there's a very good chance they could lose in their wild card game to the Cowboys. And you're going to have some quarterbacks that you probably didn't think are Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks. One of them's getting there. I don't know if they're going to win it, but one of them's getting there. And, you know, Daniel Jones is in year five. I believe Dak is in, this is year seven or eight for Dak. Brock Purdy, obviously a rookie. And, um, well, Purdy, Dak, Hurts, and Jones. And like I said, Daniel Jones, year five. Hurts is year, what is this, his third year? Yeah. So, look, we've had average quarterbacks or people you didn't think would be a Super Bowl winning quarterback actually win a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Trent Dilfer is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Doug Williams won a Super Bowl. You know, I, I just think that you will find some occasionally that were like, what, where? How? Who? But this is – the odds are stacked against the NFC, put it that way, no matter who comes out of the AFC, unless it happens to be Jacksonville. If Jacksonville pulls off two more upsets and two more games that they um, are not going to be favored to win in and will be on the road. But it's happened before. Like I said, Eli Manning's first run in the NFL – first time – or the first Super Bowl run that they had where they won the Super Bowl and they beat the undefeated Patriots – they were the dog and on the road team in three straight games, and they won all of them and then went to the Super Bowl and beat an 18-0 and team. So weird shit has happened before in the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. And we just, again, we just don't know what's going to happen. I want to end with college football, and then tomorrow we'll, we'll get into breaking down more of the games. I talked a little bit about Dallas and San Francisco. That's the last game on Sunday. But, you know, we'll talk Jacksonville and Kansas City, Giants at Philly on Saturday, and then the Cincinnati-Buffalo game. But I did want to talk about the fact that um, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback, declared for the NFL draft yesterday. Not a surprise. Everybody thought he was going. There was some scuttlebutt over the weekend that maybe NIL money would keep him at Ohio State, and he might stay another year. But he declared he's going. And he's obviously going to be a top five pick. And I can't predict the future when it comes to quarterbacks coming out of college. There are some guys that I thought were going to be great who absolutely flamed out. And some guys that I thought were going to suck that ended up being really good. So, and I thought, and there's been some guys that I thought were better than where they were drafted. So it's impossible. It's an inexact science to actually know who's going to be an excellent NFL quarterback, who's going to translate well from college. But what I do know is this, the track record for Ohio State quarterbacks who dominated in college has not been good in the NFL. Troy Smith, Terrell Pryor, Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace, JT Barrett. Um, 
who was the other one recently? There was another one recently that hasn't uh, hasn't done. Oh, um, Justin Fields is. You know the jury is still out on him. Great runner, but remember Justin Fields' first year with Ohio State after he transferred from Georgia. He threw forty touchdowns and one interception. This year in the NFL, he threw for over two hundred yards twice in a game. Like either his development is getting worse, or he's just got bad coaching. But he could throw the ball in college. He was not a runner. They didn't like him to run. Now they're using him as a running quarterback, which he can do. But how he has fallen off so much from being a passing quarterback like he was in college, I don't know. That's probably above my pay grade of why he has been so poor throwing the ball in his first two years in the NFL. But all those guys, everyone hyped them coming out. Cardale Jones, another one who won a national championship for Ohio State. They get to the NFL, and none of these guys have done anything on the pro level as a as a quarterback. So it's easy to be like, "Oh my God, C.J. Stroud's got all the tools. Look at the look at his stats in college." Yeah, I looked at the stats of Troy Smith in college too. I looked at the stats of J.T. Barrett and Dwayne Haskins in college too. I looked at Terrell Pryor's stats in college too. They were all great, and they got to the pros, and none of them. Like if it was a small sample size of one or two, you'd be like, "Man, maybe." Ohio State quarterbacks, for whatever reason, that's six quarterbacks that have not worked out in the NFL, or five and a half if you want to give Justin Fields a little bit more time. And that's not any sort of like criticism or saying that Ohio State just can't produce a pro quarterback. All I'm saying is laying out the facts. You had five or six guys coming out, Smith, Jarrett, Haskins, Pryor, Cardale Jones, and Justin Fields, six quarterbacks who were studs in college and got to the pros and did nothing. It's not going to change C.J. Stroud's draft position. I tell you that right now. He's going top five. Every single mock draft has him in the top five. I'm just saying it doesn't mean anything because others have gone high too and flamed out. I wish the best for the kid. I think he's really good. But how do I know how he's going to translate to the pros? I really don't. I don't study tape like those guys do, and they will swear up and down. They've studied the tape on him, and he's different than the other ones. But I remember when those other guys were coming out, they were saying how good they were going to be, and they studied tape on them, and they looked really good, and they're good in the pocket. They can make all the NFL throws. It's more than making the throws. It's being able to command a huddle. It's being able to play under pressure, and not get rattled. And I think there's just so much more that goes into it that's so hard to pinpoint. Some guys just got it, and some guys just don't. And for anyone to say, I know for a fact C.J. Stroud is going to be a 10- to 15-year starter in the NFL. No, you don't. You don't. And don't say that you do know. Because most of these draft pundits are wrong anyway. Just like I say, talk show hosts are wrong probably 70% of the time when they give you predictions. Take a look at NFL draft experts. My gosh, the amount of times they're wrong is insurmountable. It is a it is an astounding number on how many times they've been wrong about players. Now, they'll get some right here and there, but their wrong percentage is probably around the same as most talk shows. Probably around 70% of the time they're wrong. Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Dak Prescott was drafted in the fourth round. 
Yeah, I mean, the list goes on. There's so many. There's so many players that were drafted late that ended up being studs. You know, who was Cooper Cup? You know, last season at the end of the Super Bowl, he was the best player, rest receiver in the NFL. The guy came from a small school. Nobody gave a shit about him. Uh, he wasn't anybody that people were dying to get on draft day. I mean, just the amount, the examples are endless in the NFL. It's just such an inexact science. It's very tough to pinpoint anybody that says, I know who's going to be good and, or I know this guy's going to suck in the league. No, you don't. It's just your opinion. You don't know for sure. Nobody does. But all I know is six Ohio State quarterbacks have come before C.J. Stroud, and none of them did well. It won't change his draft status, but I think that's going to be something that all teams will be leery of. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Really appreciate it. My daily roundup is up on my other feed that's posted every morning around 8 a.m. Eastern time. And, you know, the Sports Daily is still going. We're going to do it every day. And please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It is much appreciated. Thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!